Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And firstly, thank you to everyone who's helped us hit the 150 review mark in the UK iTunes store, almost all of which are five-star. I think 145 of those 150 are five-star reviews. That is a wonderful number to wake up and see. So thank you to everybody there. I can see the most recent person was Speedy Coyote One, followed by Daniel Price, both of whom have left reviews in the last week. So you've pushed us over the edge for this podcast. So thank you ever so much to both of you for doing that. We've also had some emails coming into podcast at natelangson.com. We're going to get to throughout the show. Just to begin with, before we get into news, and we're going to start with Tesco Banks Hack which uh, there's a lot to say about that. I wanted to mention a couple of things from last week's show. We talked about Virgin Mobile, zero rating WhatsApp messages and Facebook Messenger. And one of the things that we talked about last week was how it isn't zero rating video calling, which is sort of the one thing that you'd really benefit from being zero rated. And I contacted contacted, um, Virgin Mobile to figure out to try and figure out why they're not zero rating. I got a very honest answer back. This is a quote I got back from their spokesperson. WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger, text messages, images, and video messages are all encrypted and remain so, because I asked about encryption. We zero rate the destination address at Facebook to ensure these don't get charged. Video calling is also encrypted, but it's peer-to-peer, so it's not possible to zero rate a destination address as it will be dynamic. That's a really good answer. Like, it, I've, I've had some PR answers in my time, and that is probably the best one, really. Yeah, absolutely. It, it just was... explains exactly what they're doing and why, and it takes away any ability to, for anyone to be, like, conspiratorial about it. It's just, a you know, it's quite clear. Yeah, absolutely. And if anybody did miss last week's episode and wants to know what all that's about, it is in the RS, uh, RSS feed, of course. Do go and check that out. Also had a few emails about the zero rating as we kind of predicted we probably would Uh, Toby says that he's glad to hear Virgin opted to roll over unused data to the next month he says uh, this is encouraging because this was the pattern that applied to voice and text before all the suppliers started offering unlimited calls and texts hopefully this is the first nail in the coffin of the ridiculous current practice of trying to meter data like it's water in the meantime at least the budget users who do run out of data some months get a bit of a buffer and he thanks uh, for the good stuff on the podcast also had a note come in from sim who says i think it's a slippery slope while it appears consumer friendly as soon as companies start playing favorites and zero rating data from selected apps they're encouraging the use of them at the expense of competition treating all data equally is one of the key tenets of the internet as we know it and needs to be protected why sim asks well giving isps the license to have a price differentiation on data means they could also do the reverse and charge apps to have their data trafficked equally brackets he he notes here see a case of verizon throttling netflix in the u.s during peak hours well thanks to everybody for writing in podcast at natelangson.com that is where you can send your email or you can send on the form if you just go to techpodcast.uk or natelangson.com slash podcast or textmessage.co.uk there are just (laughs) 
so many options, uh, but we welcome them all. Let's get into the news. And we've got a few items to get to today that happened over the last seven days. And the first, Tesco Bank. And I've subtitled this topic, Unexpected Hack in the Banking Area. I, I, I was uh, I was blown away by that that subhead. I mean, I, I just think it's it, it's inspired. What can that, I say? Thank you. Well, that 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 is what you can say. <laughs> I you know, said this to you when you proposed it, didn't I? I was like, that's amazing. Thank you. Well, this is the news that Tesco suspended some parts of its online banking system earlier this week after it detected attempts to steal cash from customer accounts, specifically people with current accounts or or checking accounts to you guys in the States, uh, which they blocked from making online payments using their debit cards on Sunday as a security measure. Obviously, the bank has apologised, and the quote is, uh, we'd like to apologise for the worry and inconvenience this issue caused, uh, according to the bank's boss. And the BBC News story that, uh, that I saw first said that Tesco had spotted suspicious transactions on about 40,000 accounts over the weekend, with money initially reported to have been taken from about half of those accounts, about 20,000. Tesco has about 7 million customers in the UK, so it's it's a challenger bank, but it's on the smaller side of that. But still, 20,000 estimated customers being affected out of 7 million isn't a huge amount. But later in the week, Tesco said it had refunded £2.5 million to about 9,000 customers who'd had money taken in the attack and that they pointed out personal data wasn't compromised. It was it was just money being taken from the account. So 9,000 actually affected customers out of initially suspected 40,000 out of a total of 7 million potential customers affected. So it's small scale on the one hand, but one, um, one cybersecurity uh, expert that I saw quoted in the, in, uh, in the news did say that this was an unprecedented breach. And the quote here from a guy called Professor Alan Woodward at Europol, oh sorry, uh, and a, he was a security consultant who had worked at Europol, said, I've not heard of an attack of this nature and scale on a UK bank where it appears the bank's central system is the target. Ian, have you heard mm-hmm. of such a hack? No I, no, I haven't. And it's actually, ex- it's extremely worrying, isn't it? Because, uh, for whatever else we might say about our banks, they're usually, and it's in their interest to be so, they're usually pretty secure. And this, um, I was just chatting with this with some family and uh, I, I was saying that, you know, because people are very aware that they have a lot of security to log into their online banking, they kind of feel secure. And, and that's rightly so, because actually those um, security steps are pretty good on the whole. But this obviously went behind that and and became something where um you know they, these hackers were able to get into the bank systems which is extremely alarming because if you can do that then well you can do pretty much anything can't you and i mean i i suspect that because there was a relatively large volume of attempted transactions they were presumably trying to make it look honest and not steal too much money from too many people i don't mean honest i mean you know like make it look like a legitimate transaction and not to be taking things you know too much from any one account um but obviously uh, i heard on the radio the, the first thing i heard about this was um people who didn't have enough you know very much money in the first place were were being left without any money and tesco's wasn't refunding it quickly enough at the time you know these people were i guess low income families who, who didn't have an, an you know, no excess in their bank account. And um, it was having a big impact on those people. So really, uh, you know, kind of a big problem and scary. 
that's one of the things that I saw mentioned as well, is that normally you see these happen to single or very few accounts with a lot of money. But you're right, these were affecting people. One person in particular I saw mentioned, he had £600 in, in his bank and he was left with about £20. But he had to save that £600, I think, for coal for his... Yeah. heating system somewhere it says you know this is just a very real effect on me like 600 pounds to a hacker might not be that much money but to me it's the ability to have a heated home and yep. and feed my family yeah. and you've left me with with 20 pounds um so and, and the were... best thing to do in this situation would be for tesco to say to people well look um we'll give you an automatic overdraft of the amount that was missing or something like that so that um it really people can just carry on living their lives and until tesco's can return the money and stuff like that but i think one of the things i i remember seeing is that this this was considered quite generally quite good on tesco's part they came out very quickly to to announce that this had this had happened and to and to put a a reason for the hack um in the public in the public's eye and they also by tuesday had refunded money to anyone who had their accounts compromised yes. which is something they have to do it's one of the things that being a licensed bank entitles you to have to do is to refund unless it's the user's fault or stupidity or something but um, but they have done that very, very quickly, it seems. Let's talk just briefly about some of the ways that this can happen. Some people have talked about this potentially having been the result of people attaching skimming devices. So this is kind of card readers, cloning devices, or even cameras, uh, specifically at Tesco's own cash machines, which they do have um, around the country. This is the kind of thing where they sometimes it can be a, a tiny little camera it's why it's why you should always check when you're putting your card into a machine that there's nothing suspicious above or below the device i often find that if the device the little hole that you put the card into if it's a bit wobbly that's that's always a warning sign and because the cards are always faced up i always put my one of my fingers over the numerical strip when i slide the card in so if a camera is above it it can't um, it can't read the code and um and, and obviously underneath where the security number is as well, you want to put your hand under there too. So that's one way that somebody has been theorizing that, that this can happen. The other thing is that it could have been an inside job, which I know is something you've you've thought about, Ian. Um, it could be somebody who had worked at Tesco Bank and had access to the database, it, maliciously or otherwise, something may have slipped out. Oh, yeah, I, mean, um, I, I think that seems like an almost logical conclusion that it, to, to exploit something like this so specifically, it would have to be someone who was either able to get the information themselves or, or was fed the information by somebody on the inside. And the other option is potentially that people are using the same password for their banking as other sites, which is, I thought, becoming more and more common knowledge that that's a terrible thing to do. But it is something we've seen happen time and time again. So again, just a little nod there. Change your passwords, people. Now, uh, Tesco had declined to elaborate exactly on what had happened or, ex- or or actually how much total cash went missing, although perhaps by refunding two and a half million, there is at least a hint that maybe two and a half million went missing. And they're working with the National Crime Agency to... Um, to investigate. Well, one comment that I got uh, directly is from a, a gentleman called John Madeline. He's CEO of a company called Reliance ACSN, which is a British IT security firm. And he'd said the Tesco bank hack showcases the increased sophistication we are seeing in attacks from cyber criminals. First, it happened over a weekend, which is cunning. The best time to attack is when many key staff are away. Second, uh, continues John, unlike phishing attacks, which are often an ongoing series of one-to-one events, this attack appears to have 
used some automation in targeting core systems. This is smart as customers can be compromised far faster. Tesco is lacking in so many areas. There appears to be no good protection of core systems, no effective tools that pick up on compromises in real time, and no 24-7 security team coverage. Yet again, this shows the cybersecurity industry's lack of conviction. It has fundamentally failed to educate organisations on how to manage their security holistically. Despite private UK companies spending £2.24 billion on cybersecurity last year, across 75 separate cyber defence systems on average, two-thirds of big UK companies have been hit by a cyber attack in that time period. Pretty hardcore comment on the issue, but it does go to show that, um, you know, if you're a bank... You possibly need to think about whatever you're doing isn't enough. No, and that's... It's never going to be, is it? I mean, I, I, I sort of agree with the first part of this, what, what that guy, uh, what John Mandolin says there. Um, but I, but at the same time, you know, you never will be able to completely protect anything from hackers. It's always going to happen at some point, isn't it? Uh, it it's just. This seemed like a really unusual attack, but even so, I, I, I think it's somewhat unfair of a, an analyst to say that uh, you know that banking isn't working hard to uh, to sort of stop the problem because you know two point two four billion is quite a lot of money to spend on security, isn't it? Well, let us know what you think. And obviously, if you were an affected customer or if you had any contact from Tesco, whether or not you were actually affected, we'd love to hear it and get some first-hand accounts of how this transpired or not transpired, how this uh, evolved over the week. We'd love to hear that podcast at nateslangson.com. And of course, we'll treat it in confidence if you wish. Let's head up to Scotland and specifically into the Scottish island of Aran. Uh, spare wireless spectrum over on that island, uh, left over from the digital TV switchover a few years ago, is going to be used to improve broadband access on the Scottish island of Aran. It's going to be a rollout which, according to the story I read on Wired, is the first of its kind in Europe. I certainly hadn't heard of one uh, quite like this before. And it's going to be used to basically provide much faster access to about 5,000 residents of this island, quite a small island. And ideally, it's hoped that the use of this TV white space could actually help begin to bridge that broadband divide between urban and rural areas that we've talked about so much on the show particularly over the last couple of year a uh, couple of weeks in terms of 4G coverage now this technology is being rolled out through a partnership between the internet firm Nominet and a broadband campaign group called Broadway Partners and it's kind of a it's seen as something of a milestone moment at least in terms of internet access because islands suffer far worse uh, for slow broadband speeds even compared to some rural mainland areas it does look like it's improving. Apparently in January, about 2,000 homes and businesses in in Aran and a neighbouring island in Cumbrae were hooked up to high-speed fibre broadband. That was part of a £146 million investment programme from the Scottish government to improve internet access. But it points again to the answer to a lot of these rural broadband issues lying in wireless. The Scottish government paid you know, over £100 million to solve the problem with fibre for 2,000 homes and businesses. But this wireless solution is going to affect more than twice, potentially, the number of residents, 5,000. Um, although, to be fair, the 2,000 was homes, 5,000 residents um, could maybe average out to be about the same, but still. Pretty interesting development in terms of getting islands connectivity, right, Ian? Yeah, I mean, I, I really like these ideas. Um, I mean, that, that spectrum is unused, so it makes sense to sort of redeploy it as broadband speed 
assistants. Um, you know, it's one of those things that I kind of feel like they should do more of that, especially in rural areas, because you just you can't physically put down as much cable as you probably would want to. Well, I mean, you could, but it becomes very expensive. And wireless offers a really low cost alternative that gives people a, a, a fast access to the Internet. So I'm all for it, obviously. Why would I be a, and anything but? I love broadband. And I think everyone should get access to it. Well, I mean, there there was um, a story I remember from a little while ago that talked about how there was some little island in the in the Pacific that because of the nature of where it was and the fact that it had like one cable off the undersea backbone that fed it, it had speeds that eclipsed pretty much anything else that anybody on the anywhere else in the US got. I can't remember the name of the island. I'm sure somebody will Google it right. and, and answer it for us. And those but are was... good, great ideas, aren't they? Because basically, if you're running an undersea cable, it, it makes sense to bring it up if there's an island because you, you can then do your boosting and all that kind of stuff without having to you know, go underwater, which is obviously really difficult. So uh, if you happen to be in a, an island in the sea and you know they run a cable past you, then you're going to be laughing, aren't you? I would love I to live in I can just imagine island. it now. I can just see people walking down the street. <laughs> oh. Oh, speedy internet i could just see that in in my in my mind's eye in well given world events uh if you could find me an island with high speed internet i'd be very happy to go and live there well i'm pretty sure i i literally just did <laughs> yes so when i when i published the podcast listen back about two minutes ago i mentioned this island in the pacific yes i know but, like... but you didn't tell me what the name of the island was how how am I, what am i supposed to just sort of swim around and try and find this nebulous island that might have fast broadband Yes. Get me a name, then I'll I'll, I'll move there. Okay. I've been doing some real time googling <laughs> to, to answer this this facetiousness that that I'm subject to. Tonga. Tonga. Good old Tong- Tonga. Tonga. And they've got very fast internet. I'm just having so, a look on the map just to see exactly how far away from absolutely everything it is. Well, it's two thousand miles east of Australia. Mm. And 500 miles southeast of Fiji, which I think is fairly well known to be incredibly remote, uh, it's got over 100,000 citizens. It's sad. I mean, it, this collective of islands, that is. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it looks great. I mean, I th- do you think I could get it on one of those smaller islands? Because I'm just thinking, really, I've lost complete faith in absolutely everyone. So what I'm looking for really is a tiny, tiny little island with very, very fast internet access. Mm. Well, this is one of them. But let's stay on the topic of uh, internet access in in a slightly potentially more accessible part of the world, Uh, the mainland Britain specifically, because BT Openreach next year is going to offer up to one gigabit per second fibre broadband. Or to be more specific, BT Openreach is going to make it available for people to resell. Now, the moment those resales are as high as 330 megabits per second. I don't know of many people who are actually reselling the 330 megabit per second fiber pra- uh, package that BT offers. But next year, it's going to be up to one gigabit per second. And they're also going to have another speed of 500 megabits per second. And the crucial little sub-headline uh, in all this is that the one gigabit per second connection will offer an upload speed, allegedly of 220 megabits per second which is roughly the same download speed as some of the fastest virgin media connections beautiful 
Yeah, and on the 500 meg uh, download option, there'll be 165 uh, megabit per second upload speed. So you're going to upload on that at about 20 megabytes per second. So incredibly fast and if you're somebody who's uploading or backing up a lot of 4k video that you're shooting on your iphones and your android devices that are coming out now you know these are taking up hundreds of megabytes per video if you're recording for even a few minutes so these kind of upload speeds are going to become extremely compelling and the really frustrating thing that i see is that despite having a 200 megabit fiber to the premises uh connection i still get faster upload speeds on my 4g mobile you know, you can, um, with Virgin, you can pay and have double uh, the upload. You can yeah, but get double 20. Still com- yeah, it's but du- terrible. Yeah, I get 16 at the moment. Oh, is it 12 or 16? 12. 12 megabits up. I mean, double is, is pointless. You know, give me 100 megabits. Well, I wouldn't say it's pointless. It's, it's not as great as it should be. Uh, but Virgin has consistently been disappointing with upload speeds. It's, it's extremely frustrating. And if you, ever, if you ever saturate it as well, you really know about it. Because it destroys everything. Well, this option is going to be available for resale from the sixth of December, apparently. Well, I would, I would switch. If I mean, if that's a possibility for them to come to me, then uh, which I, it may well be, uh, I'd be thrilled. Yeah. So Sky Talk Talk uh, BT, obviously itself, BT Retail uh, may be able to sell you that. Obviously, it'll probably depend on on exactly whereabouts in the in the country you're based. But still, one gigabit fiber to the premises. Quite expensive, though, isn't it? I mean, I. I as much as I say I would like it, can I really? I mean, it's going to be a hundred odd quid, isn't it? By the time I finish selling it to you. Well, the, the only cost I've got is that it's going to be the cost to the to the retailer yeah. is eighty eighty yeah, pounds exactly. Per month. So it's, go, it's going to be over a hundred quid, isn't it? By the time the retailer's slapped on their uh, their, yeah. their profit. True, but it's only a matter of time before that comes down. And even still, if if a one gigabit is is eighty pounds to retailers, let's just let's just halve everything. 500 megabyte megabits yeah. per second might be 40 to retailers well, I, I, that I, might come to 60 to us yeah. if if you rely on that sort of speed 60 pounds a month I do. it's not a lot of money if that's particularly for you you know running your own business uh, from a home office yeah. that's uh, that's compelling well, uh, if you see any of these figures as being attractive to you, maybe an early Christmas present to yourself, let us know what you think, podcast at natelengson.com. And if you're listening on the island of Aran, and I have to say, I haven't noticed any of you in our statistics uh, coming from that island, but let us know. Well, and let because us know. until now, they didn't have fast enough broadband, but now they'll be all over it. Mm. Well, if you are, podcast at natelengson.com, let us know. Well, let's just dip my hands into my sack here, my mail mail sack, my mail bag sack, the, the email, the inbox. Satchel, mate. Satchel. Thank, that's what I'm going for. We've got another one here come from Rob, who's after some advice. Some advice, Ian. Uh, he says, hi there. As a tech guy and anglophile, I appreciate your efforts. Well, we appreciate your you're listening. A couple of things from yesterday's podcast, although actually we're only going to read one of them because we haven't got time to talk about both. A, mobile. I'll be visiting with my kids in a few weeks and I'm wondering who has the best plan for pay-as-you-go sims for our phones, data for me, and calling and messaging for them. Well, we've had a little look and we have a bit of advice for you. And we are going to recommend that for data, if you want a more budget option, then three is pretty good for you um i imagine you're visiting one of the cities and that's the reason we're recommending three because you get a bit more for your money and in the city they tend to have better coverage 
If you are just looking for voice and data, then possibly even consider Tesco Mobile, which is on the back of it's O2, isn't it? Tesco users. Was it EE? I think it. I think it's O2, isn't it? Mm. Either way, it's one of the big networks. It's on the back of, uh, but it's a, a more budget plan, so you you get uh, decent calls and minutes for your for your money. And if you just want really fast data, then go for EE, who tend to be more expensive and you get less for your money, but they are bloody quick. Um, any of those options are not going to cost you more than about £10 uh, for a 30-day option. And I would advise no matter what you go for, you probably don't need to spend more than £15 to £20 for the whole month. It's good, uh, isn't it, when you come here? Because, I mean, you know, for all the many, many flaws of this country, it's not like that when you go to America if you want to, uh, if you want to just buy a SIM card. It's just really difficult. So, Well, that actually reminds me of something we should point out, is that depending on what phone you're using, if you've got an unlocked phone from AT&T or I forget which the other one is Verizon no no, no. Verizon Verizon, T-Mobile thank you yeah if you're on AT&T or T-Mobile they use GSM which means you can as long as your phone is unlocked and not tied to those networks you you should be able to put any other GSM SIM uh, which which will work for for any of these that I've just discussed if you're on Verizon or Sprint I don't think it's quite so easy so you might want to do some googling about what the best practice is there because they don't they don't use the, the same GSM standard that is over here so I'm not 100% sure how you would go around doing that but um but your your network will advise the best and in terms of picking a, a network to use hopefully we've We've given you some decent advice there. Ian and I are available for all of your tech questions, of course. Podcast at NateLangson.com. If you like us to answer something concisely in three minutes, uh, drop us a line there. We're always happy to put on the Agony Ant costumes, aren't we, Ian? We certainly are. Always have, in fact. Let's get on with a bit more news. A couple of things I wanted to touch on. First, WH Smiths, the ever-expanding brick and mortar uh. seller of pretty much anything they can cram into the window i'm not sure gonna... they i would describe them as ever expanding uh but yeah have you looked at a wh smith recently uh, i've i i yeah they're a lot more down market than they used to be it's just every inch has something in it yeah it's you walk in and it's like a wall of stuff i mean you go to a till and sometimes even the tills are just covered in chocolate bars and sweets and you know when you put whatever it is you're buying you're putting them on top of chocolate it's like how much crap can we cram into this space but it is what it is, it is. Uh, it's going to add to that expanding collection of stuff by selling games in some stores game the um troubled retailer of video games over the last few years um, is going to start opening up stands like a, from what i've been able to gather kind of like a shop within a shop sort of area for um for wh smiths in a, a few places not sure which it's an ongoing trial across stores that they've been doing this year um but i think that's quite a nice idea isn't it two two high street retailers teaming up to to make games more accessible in an industry that's rapidly moving online yeah i mean I, well this is the thing i i mean the problem with the problem with gaming retail is the prices are really how do i put it eclectic is probably not the right word but uh so i'll give you a really good example right i, I fancy buying uh, there's been a few good games recently and i thought oh yeah I, I'd, I'd like to have a game um but it turns out that it's often more expensive to buy a digital code than it is to buy a disc, have it posted to you, and then put that disc in your drive and install the game, uh, which actually makes no sense at all, does it? So 
I, th- I feel like there is a potential for retail to be a lot smarter and on the high street and still make money without, you know, because the, the whole move to online is a lot about stock availability movement. It's about r- reducing costs, isn't it? But if you go into a WH Smith and they just have a rack of cards and the ga- the cards have the game names printed on and the game names, of, you know, and you have a serial number, that's a lot easier and there's very little shipping and, uh, you know, it, c- it could be a, a huge thing. I don't think that for all of the doomsayers, you know, high street retail could be good because, you know, sometimes I think, oh, yeah, I'd really like a game and I just happen to be in town and I could go and buy one, but I don't do it because the prices are wrong. I've noticed on the consoles... I we, we fired up the PS4 the other day to. Oh, I can't remember we were playing. The PlayStation but, Store is my absolute favourite example of crap pricing. It's just ridiculous. It's I mean, I think Skyrim Special Edition was like fifty pounds. I mean, even even undiscounted on Amazon, it was thirty two for Skyrim yeah. Special Edition. And on Steam, I forget the exact price on Steam because I had already had the DLC bundle, so I didn't actually have to re buy it but but steam's pricing is is famously flexible but it just made me wonder like what is the possible benefit other than immediacy to spending 20 pounds more for a game through the console than ordering it from amazon or going to a shop as you say eclectic is actually quite a good word unpredictable might be yeah. another I, this is a scam thing. might be a third <laughs> well and it's and it's certain kinds of um games are really really suffer from this Triple um, A so, stuff, really. Yeah, but I mean, and also, uh, you know, it's fifty quid really a fair price for a game. Okay, I mean, maybe because they spend a lot of time and effort on it. But would they not sell more copies at forty quid? You know, I've I've just uh, I bought this recently. I bought Titanfall two. Um, I was going to buy Gears of War, but because I bought a GPU, I did eventually get a free code for it, so that was good. Um, and then there was. Um, What's it called? A Forza Horizon Three. You know that's a that's over a hundred quid's worth of games right there, isn't it? And uh, you know, I it feels like they would probably sell more copies of games if they were a bit more sensibly priced, especially when it is as you know when it doesn't cost them anything to make the actual thing or ship it anywhere. All I want is to go on the Microsoft website, buy a Forza Horizon Three, and it could be forty quid, and that would be a really that would probably be the sweet spot for me. I mean, you're arguing over the laws of economics, well, which, know, which is which is not constru- confined to games. You know, I think it's an age-old argument, is it? Isn't it that it is. if you sell at a lower cost, will you sell more and therefore make more overall? I mean, that's how sales work, isn't it? Yeah, um, but the th- the thing is as well. I'll give you a really good example of this. Okay, so Titanfall Two uh, is a really great game. Okay, if you haven't played it, you absolutely should play it because the single player campaign is reminds me not at all in the in the storyline, but the way it plays reminds me enormously of Half Life Two. Um, so it's it's just one of those really nicely done sort of narrative things. And yeah, it's very corridory. So you're being, you know, you're being pushed along a story, but it's actually really enjoyable to play. Um, and I haven't felt like that about a single player campaign for a long time. And, and I've, you know, I mean, maybe probably Half-Life 2 wasn't the last time, but it's, it definitely reminded me. But, you know, these are, that game isn't selling because it is also sandwiched between Call of What's It Called and, you know, the other thing, Battlefield. Um, so, Perhaps drop the price. Perhaps go, yeah, or it's not selling. Let's get it out for four, 35 or something. And it would it would shift huge. And, you know, I, they'd still make money on it. In fact, they'd make a lot more money on it, it's my belief. I, but I would play Titanfall 2, but it's only on the Windows crap store thing, not on Steam. No, Titanfall you can get on uh, Origin. 
It's not on Steam, though. No, it's not on Steam. And that's the only place I want to give any of my money well, to. Well, I know, I understand, but even so, sometimes you just have to. Interesting. I think Titanfall 2 actually runs on the Source engine, uh, which is yeah, the maybe. same engine that powers Half-Life. So I wonder if that's the reason why it well, may, you Maybe so it just because it feels the same. Like it, It's kind of like one of those things where it's, it, it has the graphical something or other that's just made me think of it. I I can't speak highly enough of it. I mean, it isn't a long campaign. I haven't finished it yet, but I honestly do feel like it's really entertaining. Well, we've drifted just about far enough off course for me to need to point it out in case uh, any listeners thought that we haven't noticed that this has delved into a (laughs) pub-like conversation around our favourite recent video games. Uh, You can continue this conversation with us if you wish on at textmessagepod, which is where we live on Twitter. I've noticed an increase in people following us there, so thank you very much. We are wrapping up the show at this point, and uh, Ian is at at IanMorris78. I'm at Nate Langson on Twitter, and you can talk to us about games. Thank you to everyone who's been leaving us reviews. Please, please, please keep them coming. It's helped us get uh, recognised as hot in the current iTunes tech chart homepage. So thank you very much for that. And uh, unless there's anything else, we will see you in one week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.